Getting Bulletproof All Day Every Day. It's a Deshi the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast, Episode 8. If you're ready to take your destiny into your own hands, you've come to the right place. This is Ordeshi, the Bulletproof Entrepreneur, featuring interviews with the most exciting and amazing entrepreneurs across Africa. Here's your host, Chi Odogu. Welcome back and thanks for tuning into the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast. We're still going strong with our giveaways for the launch of the show. Um, we're giving out two books, The Obstacle is the Way to Timeless Out of Turning Trials into Triumph by Ryan Holiday and Choose Yourself by James Altucher. So there's still two weeks left if you want to get your hands on a copy of one of the books. All you have to do is leave a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and YouTube, and on our website, questions, your comments. For more details, go to odeshi.com, that's O-D-E-S-H-I.com. And now, a word from our sponsors before we get on with the rest of the show. We can all do with a little extra cash. Why not just pick up your trash? Recyclers recycles your trash and gives you amazing prizes or cash for every kilogram of recycled material you deliver. So pick up those cans, plastic bottles, and bags. Call Recyclers today. Go to Recyclers.com. That's W-E-C-Y-C-L-E-R-S.com for more details. Hey, good evening, guys. Welcome to the show. It's Odeshi, the Bulletproof Entrepreneur. Today's guest is Bilikis Adebiyi Abiola. She's the CEO and co-founder of WeCyclers, a for-profit social enterprise working to help communities reclaim their neighborhoods from unmanaged waste. Bilikis and her co-founders founded WeCyclers in 2012, and they utilize low-cost cargo bicycles called WeCycles to provide convenient recycling services to households in Lagos, Nigeria. Bilikis Please tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Hi. Um, so, uh, like you said, I'm the CEO of WeCyclers and, um, you know, born and bred in Lagos. I left Lagos when I was a teenager, when I was about 17, to go to the U.S. to school. And uh, while I was at the U.S., I had got my bachelor's and master's degree in computer science, then went to work at MIT, uh, sorry, at IBM, for five years, and then after IBM, I, you know, went back to get my MBA at MIT. And it was while I was at MIT that uh, the idea for WeCyclers came. So it was from a class that I took called Development Ventures. And the class basically focuses on people that live at the base of the pyramid, you know, that earn uh, less than $2 a day. And then when you look at Nigeria, about 70% of Nigerians, are, you know, are living in poverty. They lack access to sanitation. They lack access to bank accounts, to health care. And because of that, they, you know, they are disproportionately affected. So we wanted to do something that would empower people and, um, you know, move back to Nigeria about two years ago to, to work on recyclers. Okay. So tell us, Billy, because um, you said you had the idea in... MIT while you were in graduate school. How did the idea come about to start off? So it was, okay, so I was taking this class, and um, it, was, it was really random, basically. We were taking a class, and one of the, the prerequisites for this class is one of those easy classes that basically you don't have to show up to class. Okay. You just, you know, just come once in a while. So it was something that was like the best kept secret. 
in, in, you know, in school was that, you know, at least you can get your credits and still, you know, you know, you know, you can have a good time and, you know, at least, because school is really stressful, so you, you need that buffer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then you, you find yourself, you know, basically you can find yourself being drawn to the class. They had so many cool people flying in from all over the world, working on really amazing things. And some of the things, what I, what I discovered was that there were so many people that were working in Africa, working in, in, on the issues that face our people, but they didn't look like us. That was the first thing. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, so I was thinking, like, what's, where, where are the African people that are solving these problems, you know? They say malaria is killing everybody, there's no job, but where are, it's not African people that are doing it, you know? And then the second thing that, that struck me was that, you know, it, basically, we, there were so many people in the class that just wanted to just do something and make a change. So I, I got sucked into this group of people that had this idea. And we just, you know, had, you know, a really nice time just talking and coming up with ideas. And, you know, we submitted our concept to, you know, for our, our final grade. And we, we got a good grade. And we just decided to run with it. Okay. So you whittled down from several ideas to one, or you started with this one, and then you ran with it. We started with one, and then we just started, you know, kind of debating amongst ourselves. Because the idea, first of all, was was some people that started it off and said, okay, we're going to do waste for water. And then, you know, I was looking for a, a group to join. And we now, I joined the group, and I said, oh, the African people, because I'm from Africa. I was the only one from Africa. And I said, African people don't want water. They have water. They want something. They want to be able to choose. You know, even if there's water, they let them have the choice. So we came up with, okay, incentives, let them be able to choose what they want. And then we had the idea of, okay, instead of having, because we thought it was going to be a, a mobile, like a, like a kiosk. Okay. But then we came up with the idea of using a mobile system. So it was when I went to Nigeria and I did my research on the ground that we now discovered that we should use bicycles. That's interesting. Okay, so you, you wrapped it up, you handed in your project, and then what happens next? After graduation, because Man. you are you are an engineer. What what? First of all, you are an African also, so your family knows that you know you've you've gone to a great school, MIT. You are an engineer. You're leaving, you know, a potentially well-paid or several potentially well-paying jobs in engineering to come and do waste management. Yeah, I mean, it sounds crazy when you say it like that, <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> But I, I think I think it was just like, you know, I did an internship while I was at MIT. I worked for IBM for five years. I mean, I made the money. I had, you know, I had opportunity to have a job. Mm-hmm. I, I worked for somebody, and I just didn't like it. IBM is, a, is an amazing company, but I just, you know, in any organization, it's like you kind of, if you don't control, if you're not a manager, you don't control what's going on. You know, you, maybe you don't like what you're working on. You know, I, I wanted to just do something, and I like talking to people. I like interacting with people. I mm-hmm. want to have people near me. So that's why I said, okay, let me go and get my MBA. But then I did an internship in a consulting company. And it was like from 9 to 11 p.m., sometimes 1 a.m. every day. And sometimes my boss would give me something to do. And the next day, he would say, oh, we're not doing that. Let's do something else. And so the whole day, I think what I did was not useful. I wanted to kill myself. So I said, no, this is crazy. I'm not doing this. And then, luckily for me, my, my husband is very, very supportive. And um, I just, you know, I had people calling me, you know, trying to headhunt me to, you know, before I graduated. And I said, I'm not doing this. I'm not. I'm going to work for this, work on WeCycle. And something, I, I feel like something, 
was pulling me. It was like, you know, when something is supposed to, I don't know how to describe it, but it was just something that was supposed to happen. Yes. You know? And like, I just had this calmness, you know, it's kind of like, you have to sit, when you're doing this thing, it's like, it's never easy. There's no, like, yeah, if you talk to someone like Dan Gote, it wasn't like, oh, he was relaxing and chilling and it's hard. I remember days when we walk on we cyclers, um, you know, we have something due, you can't sleep at night, you have to work on this, but you just have to like, just keep going, just keep going. And, and we made it to the other side. Mm, okay. So now tell us about you moving back to Nigeria to start WeCyclers. What, what were some of the challenges you faced? Like you alluded to some of the hard days. What, what were some of the hard days? Be specific. Give us an example. Okay. Anyways, so the first example, I have two kids. So we didn't, I didn't decide until like, so the way it works is, uh, you know, in America is, we, you know, I t- you know, when is second term, you know, schools have three terms. Second term, they'll ask you, do you want to come back for next year, for the following uh, you know, year? And we have signed and said, yeah, we're going to come back. We're going to stay in America. But then I kept on thinking and thinking, talking to my husband. And we're like, what? you know, I need to go and start this thing now. So I had to pull my kids out of school. I had to break my lease. Because I just woke up one day and said, no, I'm moving back. So the challenge, I think the challenges were, of course, trying to unwind my kids from school, trying to look for a school for, for them, hmm. you know, those personal things. But then when you look at the, actually in the company, in terms of being an entrepreneur, it was, um, you know, we had to look for money. How are you going to pay for this? So we had to spend a lot of time, you know, trying to find opportunities uh, for funding, in, you know, business plan competitions, trying to make those con- those vital connections, you know, on the ground in Nigeria, and just trying to just, you know, figure out more of the specifics of what we're doing. You know, one of the things was, I don't know anything about bicycles. I don't even know how to change. I don't know anything. I can't even like... <laughs> <laughs> so you, you had no experience with bicycles to start with, and your company is fundamentally with run with bicycles. Exactly. So that was the kind of, you know, uncertainty we faced. It's okay. like we knew we wanted bicycles. And we're like, okay, so what are we going to do? Because we don't even know what the bicycle looks like. We had no clue. But we just kept on. I think one of the things that we did, and I have to give me and my, my colleague uh, Alex, was we didn't, we didn't give up. We'll research. We'll go online. Okay, this person does bicycles. Okay, let's go and talk to this person. So we'll go and have coffee with that person. Okay, let's email and this, this person. And this in Nigeria or outside Nigeria? In outside Nigeria, in America. Okay. okay. So it's very lucky. We're lucky about, about that. And we're living in Boston. in Boston. So there's a lot of bicycle. There's a bicycle culture there. So we'll go to the bicycle shops. We'll hang out with the bicycle experts. And then we build this little community around us on bicycles. And we're able to find the, the person that actually designed and built the recycle uh, his name is Jack Whipple. So he, you know, he, we met him and we got him to come to Nigeria to build a recycle for us. Wow. Yeah. And so now you have what a bicycle manufacturing plant also. No, no. You, I mean, you, you, I guess if, you, if I, I, I wouldn't call it that, but we we have a way of building our bicycles. We okay. So our- he did he did knowledge transfer basically, and you have people that can make bicycles for recyclers. Yeah, so we have a, a welder that, that can just... Basically, he came, did it, and then our welder just copied his design. Okay. And, and improved on it. Oh, that's interesting. 
Yeah. Okay, so go on. You said financial challenges, um, personal challenges. What are, what other challenges did you face? It's also, I would say, it's kind of, you know, when, when you're working somewhere that's... Um, one of the challenges I would say is we're not on the ground early. I think that was a good and bad thing. It was good because we had the chance to step back, think about everything, plan. Because when we got on the ground, I mean, because we were we started working on research, you know, in January of 2012, but we didn't get to Nigeria till August. Okay. So you know, we had like seven to eight months of planning and calling and thinking and freaking out. So, but when we now did it, it was easier. So, uh, it was it was hard. I mean, I remember there were days I would be crying myself in my room. Like, oh my, what am I doing? Am I going crazy? But it worked out. Okay, that's that's interesting. So, you get to Nigeria. You you have these challenges. You're knocking them down one by one. You kick off We Cyclers. What type of support did you get from the government, for example? Because waste management, at least in the U.S., it's highly contingent upon, you know, municipal rules and regulations. So, like in Lagos, where you operate, what type of support did you get from the government? Did you get tax credits or some type of incentives to help you guys kick off the project? We, I mean, the government has been awesome. We're okay. lucky. We're lucky. We made early on. We made contact with the Ministry of Environment, which that they are the ones in charge of waste management, and LOMA, which is an agent agency, Lagos Waste Management Authority, runs the waste. So we were able to connect with them, and they've been amazing. The LOMA managing director, you know, is, is an advisor for us. We always go to him with questions. They gave us actually more than tax credits. I think is they actually gave us um, free access to their sites. So, yeah, in our model, we basically we have to have a, a location close to the, the houses that we serve so that we can kind of aggregate the waste before we sell it. So he gave us access um, to their sites. They even sponsored five waste cycles. And we're working with them to expand to other parts of Lagos. So they've been amazing with, with kind of just helping us to refine the idea and also just giving us the opportunity to leverage on, on their network and their, their infrastructure. That's interesting. And do you have any competitors in the industry right now? I would say yes. There are other other recycling companies that are collecting. I wouldn't say we're competitors, you know, because it's a, we're so small and we're so, you know, it's a big market. But I would say other people are in, in the space. There's companies like Recycle Points that I, I respect very much and. Um, you know, and it's it's a it's a really great uh, market, I I think, and we need more more people in the waste space. Okay. Because people don't think it's cool. You know, people always I say, oh, one of my uh, somebody I think one of my family, you know, extended family members was calling me kole kole because I'm doing in Yoruba it's kind of a derogatory word they use for people that um, you know pick waste. Okay. And you know, and I think and I'm thinking, what is wrong with us as Nigerians? Why do we feel that you know everybody likes to be working for a bank, bank or, you or, or your company or something like that exactly you know why why are we have to stick to all this you know this pattern you know let's you know unless you see something on the floor it's dirty like Nigeria is the only country i've seen that we don't really have that many trash cans have you noticed yes i have i noticed that i was in nigeria christmas break and everywhere where even some of the eateries too it was difficult to find a trash can Exactly. It's crazy. I mean, it doesn't make sense. So, so why, why are we, and why don't we want to, we see things that's staring us in the face. 
And then when we now said the we cyclers, people now said, huh, I've been having this idea. I had this idea. And I said, you know, I feel like the culture in Nigeria doesn't let you go against the grain. They want you to be stuck. Yeah. They want you to, to, to kind of like be, be paralyzed, you know? We need, to, we need to stop that. So you pushed against the grain and you're doing this unusual business. Did you have any sort of friction or pushback with operators in the industry? No, oh, I think I think people are really the operators are really nice. I mean, they're very they they are the ones that are doing the hard work. Okay, you know when you look at them, they are the ones that are going out there every day collecting waste and and really making it something that people in Lagos don't even have to think about. You know, because it's your waste, you don't have to worry about your waste because people are actually there cleaning up. You know, so I think they are doing an amazing job. Okay. Um, I, w- I would say we just need, um, as a woman, you know, when you look at a, a woman a boss, you know, it's challenging, of course, because we are a male-dominated society. You know, men always get things done uh, because they're. I mean, I, I, I'm sorry if men don't agree with me, but it's something that we see as women. It's just that it's, you kind of have to work a little bit harder. You have to have a little bit of a th- thicker skin. Mm. You know, because some things will happen and you're wondering, you know, what, what is this? But um, you just got to, you know, roll with the punches and, you know, keep going. Okay. And I think I read somewhere that roughly 60% of the daily waste generated in Lagos is uncollected. Is that an accurate statistic or? I would say it's not formally collected. Okay. What, so, that, so could you explain further? So basically, um, uh, the way it works is that um, you know Lagos we generate about ten tons, ten thousand tons of waste every day. You know, but mm-hmm. in uh, when you look at um, you know like the the organized areas like uh, the Ikoyis and the Kejas, their waste gets collected. But and, that, and but when you now look at the the, the slums, you know like uh, Makoko or something like that. You know, the, first of all, for somebody to come and collect your waste in these areas, you have to pay. You know, where, you know, wherever if, if you are living somewhere and you have this waste, is it's actually a service. Yes. And you have to pay for the, for the service. And the reason why you pay for the service is because somebody is actually done, gone and gotten an investment. He has invested in trucks. He has um, employees that are he's, he's paying. He has all these costs that he has to pay for. But then in some of these uh, other low-income areas, people don't really pay for the waste collection. So because of that, then it's difficult for somebody to go and collect that waste from them. So you have that disconnect where somebody wants to give a service, but because people are unable or unwilling to pay, the service cannot be rendered. You know? And then so some, some people now would have to resort to um, you know, going, you know, giving these cat pushers or those kinds of things. So I'm not saying that there's really no waste collection happening. It's happening, but it's not, um, in the lower-income areas, it's not 100% because of so many challenges. You know, some people will say, I don't want to do it. I'm going to take, get rid of my waste myself. Or, you know, maybe there's some challenges with the, with the net road network, you know, whatever, I could, whatever it is, whatever the case may be, you know. We have those um, those issues. Okay, and your company is focused on addressing these issues in the lower income areas, correct? Yes, we were focusing on the on the lower income areas first. Okay. You know, so so it w- it was actually deliberate because we wanted to empower them. Okay. So 
um, you know, we could, have, we, could have, we could have done a recycling program in a higher income area because people actually tell us, hey, why don't you come to my neighborhood? I want to recycle too, you know, but we feel like, you know, people are servicing them. We want to go somewhere where people actually need what we are giving them. Okay. You know, and we've been able to change lives. I mean, we have people that redeem their waste and the, this money that uh, this money or this gift that they get from us is huge. You know, I've had someone that get, got money and she used it to, to, you know, she was sick and she used her, her money to, to take care of herself. I've had people that use their, their, whatever they redeemed in their, in their shop. So like someone got a generator and she's going to use it in, in her shop to, to power her fridge. So, so basically people are really seeing the value. They are really, it's, it's actually something that is making a difference in their life, you know? Mm. And it's, it's, it's really powerful. And, and apart from the material things that they get, they always tell us, oh, you know, they, they didn't really make that connection. You know, the first problem is in many of these instances is that just there's low awareness. They don't understand. They don't know. So the people will say, ah, since uh, recyclers has been coming to my neighborhood, wow, this place is cleaner. There is less mosquito. When it's, um, you know, it's raining, there's no flood. Because now they are seen and they are understanding. It's like practical. You know, when you are in, in science class, you have to do theory. You have to do practical. Yeah. We're actually giving them practical. So they are learning on the, on the you know, real time. Okay. So now let's talk about your business model because I looked at it a little bit and I found it interesting. You incorporated a sort of gamification to waste management. Could you talk about how you implement this um, waste for points and eventually redemption for gifts and cash? Yeah, so I think the way it worked was it was actually initially something that we did to, like I said earlier, you know, it was to give people the choice. We wanted to be able to have something that, a system that people could say, look, guys, I want, um, you know, I want to use my points for, you know, to kind of have that option. You know, so we had this, uh, we have a software which is built, um, you know, in-house. I'm a software person, so I'm, I'm all about software. So we had someone that came in and built our software in-house. Is that, um, his name is Jonathan Kola. And so what happens is, so somebody registers to recyclers and we put them on a route. So we'll say, okay, you registered and you're on ABC street. So we're going to come on Wednesday to pick from you. So our recycler will come on Wednesday, pick up from the person, and then they would weigh the waste. So for every kind of waste, we collect three kinds of waste currently, plastic bottles, pure water sachets, and cans. They would weigh each waste and then they would record it. Right now we use paper. There's a reason. I'll, I'll come back to that later. We will record it on our piece of paper, take it to our hub. Then somebody will input it into the system, and within a day or two, they will get an SMS alert saying, uh, you know, Wednesday we came to your house and we got these kinds of waste from you. And because of that, you have these total points. So that happens every week. Your, points get, your point balance increases based on how much, you know, waste you are giving us. And then every three months, we open it up to our subscribers, and they can actually trade in their points for a prize. So they'll say, okay, we have a list. So we have things that range from generators to a small bowl, buckets, blender, you know, Indomie, carton, or even cash. Mm. They'll they will trade in their points for those prizes. And, um, you know, 
and that's how it works. Or if they say, okay, I don't, if they don't like anything we have, they'll say, okay, I'll, I'll wait and I'll just, you know, push it. I'll roll it over to the next cycle. Okay. So every, every three months they have the choice. And that kind of gives us an opportunity to kind of see, okay, what, are, what do people like? What are they, um, you know, maybe people like uh, blenders or they, they, they don't like this particular thing. We are able to see from the data because I'm all about data. I want to see facts. We see the data. We see what people are exchanging for. What are people's, you know, preferring? You know, and initially we said we're only going to do gifts. We're not. We're going to do in kind. We're only going to do in kind because we didn't want it to be transactional. We didn't want people to say, "Okay, I want money." Mm-hmm. But then, and we got on ground, and the people said, "No, you can't tell me. You can't dictate to me. I want my money." Hmm. So we had to realize, we had to just be flexible and say, "Okay, guys, okay, you can take your money." Hmm. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. So you recycle plastic wa- plastic bottles, water sachets, and cans. Mm-hmm. So what happens to those three inputs? You sell them to the manufacturer. You sell them back to the manufacturers. I'm trying to think of how. Um, you would redeem, let's say, if a client turns in, let's call it 20 pounds of plastic bottles, um, where, where would you get the cash to give to them? That's a good question. So what we do is we basically take the plastic bottles, you know, and, you know, we'll bail it, compress it or whatever. Then we'll sell it to somebody. They are recyclers in Nigeria okay. that would use those materials to make something. So they give us money. Okay. So we now use the money, and because we because it's delayed because it's every three months, that gives us the opportunity to kind of like rack up the money. Okay. So when it's time, we will just use their money and give it back to them, so they get a share of what we sell. Okay, so it's almost kind of like profit sharing. Yeah, exactly. It's like profit sharing. They're getting a share okay. of what we. So and if we say, oh, okay, plastic bottle prices have gone up, then we will adjust their points. So next time you give us a plastic bottle, you actually get more points. Oh wow! So this is all happening in real time, and it's yeah. not—it's not fixed because some would even say you—you you wouldn't need to do that since um, the points are already the points, and already yeah. you could make so, more profit out of that. But you adjust yeah. it without even the clients knowing the hard data behind what you're doing. Yeah, we, but we will tell them, hey, we are adjusting it. Because we do it because, one of the reasons we do it is because, so now we, set, we see that, okay, there's a demand for something. And we want, we want people to kind of give us more of that. Yeah. So we'll, we'll raise the price so that they'll see, oh, if I give you more of this, I'll get more, you know? So yes. we can actually control the flow. Or if we say, okay, we don't want more, any more of this thing. We don't, we don't really, it's too much trouble. We'll reduce the price. So then people will now reduce their activity around that product. Okay. Hmm. That's very interesting. So why is your recording system still paper-based as <laughs> yeah. opposed to electronic? Because hey, yeah. you're, you're, you're a software engineer. I'd expect you to have your guys with iPads or tablets or something. Man, people are not there. People we work with, uh, we, we, tr- we actually have an app already designed it's a mobile app that people can we can use to input the, the but people see it and they say no I don't want I don't want you to put it on the computer I want to see the paper I want the paper they want to see the paper you know we have a lot of people that are oh, elderly people that, that are registered to our service and they're just not used to computers okay so we kind of have to you know understand them and and you know cater to their needs but okay. we hope very soon 
to push them in that direction. Okay. But so, it's kind of also like listening to your market. You know, they, yes. they want to see the paper. And you just give the market what they want. Exactly. Okay. So um, I want to focus on your recycling process a little bit. So you only take plastic bottles, water sachets, which is like um, PET, polythene bags. LDP, yeah. Yeah. And um, cans. What about other types of recyclable waste like, um, you know, old mobile phones, computers, TVs, stuff like that? Or I paper? think it was, it was, it was um, we were being, uh, what do you call it, uh, opportunistic. So we just went for things that we know that, first of all, we know that, okay, metal, we didn't look at heavy metals like steel. Yeah. Because there's already, people are already doing that. Good, you know? okay. But we now said, okay, what is actually a nuisance? What is the, causing the most problem? You know, it's kind of, we wanted to solve a problem that we see around, you know, in, in the communities. And we see more and more, it's plastic. It's mainly plastic. It's mainly sachets and then cans or as well. So we said, okay, let's do that. Let's make sure we can make a, a business, a viable business around those things. And then we can now add things as we go along. Okay. Because we just didn't want to get bogged down. Okay. Yeah, but we're slowly now, we're, we're actually looking at targeting. For, so for paper, we're actually introducing paper, but just for companies. Because it's mostly companies that generate paper anyway. Mm, so households do not generate paper oh, waste. They, okay, it mostly be what, they, food. They do, yeah, food. Yeah, the households generate paper, but not as much as, you know, okay. like an office, you know. Yes. And currently in Nigeria, there's no one doing paper recycling? There are the companies that do. For example, there's a company in um, Ikeja that uses paper to to make uh, tissue. Okay. Yes. That's interesting, Bilikis. But let's take a minute to thank our sponsors before we get on with the rest of the interview. We can all do with a little extra cash. Why not just pick up your trash? Recyclers recycles your trash and gives you amazing prizes or cash for every kilogram of recycled material you deliver. So pick up those cans, plastic bottles, and bags. Call Recyclers today. Go to Recyclers.com. That's W-E-C-Y-C-L-E-R-S.com for more details. Hey, guys. Have I got some exciting news for you today? Did you know that your sense of smell is one of the most powerful memory triggers ever? Doctors have determined that you are 10 times as likely to remember an event if it's strongly attached to a particular scent or fragrance. So, the next time you are looking to purchase a souvenir for one of your milestone events, like a birthday, wedding, or naming ceremony, why not commemorate the event with a unique fragrance? La Femme Couch is Nigeria's premier bespoke perfumistas. They will work with you to create a fragrance that is truly unique and complementary to your occasion. So, when the last bottle of champagne is popped and those final photos are taken, give your guests a gift they will truly remember. Give them the gift of a lifetime. Give them the scent of the occasion. La Femme Couch, that's L.A., F-A-M-E-A-C-C-O-U-T-R-E, Bespoke Perfumistas. Given the fact you're doing so much good in the society, you know, generating jobs, because you've just told me you have your collectors, you also have people that make bikes for you. Mm-hmm. Why, why, why is it that it's still um, not quite as embraced as maybe some of the other mainstay occupations? Yeah, 
I think it's you. I think you also you've alluded to that. I think it's it's just um, first of all, it's a it's a new it's a green field. It's a new um, you know area, so people don't really understand or know much about it. But then I was you know I, they're used to mostly you know like the petroleum. They're used to all those uh, industries, mm. you know. But I think Nigeria, we are at that level where there's a shift happening. People are seeing. We need to care for our environment, you know. When you look at all this flooding that's going on, you see, you know, the environment, the climate is changing. People are waking up to the reality of, of, of the... Because, and, and I actually, to, 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 let me bring it closer to home. I personally, was, I'm not a tree hugger. I'm not the kind of person... <laughs> I'm not the kind of person that would, you know, oh, I'm not going to have, you know, these people that don't have any imprints zero carbon footprint, blah, blah. I'm not that kind of person, but I'm seeing, as I'm doing this, I'm seeing we have to really care about our environment. It's, it's really a big problem if we don't address it. Okay. So now let's focus on the business as a whole. Uh, is um, WeCycle making money? Are you profitable? We're not profitable, but we're making money. We make money from the sale of the material. Okay. But we're not profitable because, you know, several reasons we are not big enough. Okay. But we're still um, two outlets. We just have about uh, 25 recycles. So, you know, it's still small. And then we haven't started adding value to the collected recyclables like, you know, shredding and those kinds of things. But we are doing, we're going to start doing that now. Okay. So, so how would you go go about um, raising funding to scale up? Because I saw here that you recently won an award as the Cartier Women's, Women's yeah. Initiative Award. And we also just recently got um, mentioned, we actually selected as, well, it's called the Sustainia 100 list of 100 sustainable companies from all around the world. So we're on that list as well. Wow. We're very happy. Congrats. Thank you. Um, so money, I think um, we we are now actually raising money now. Okay. We're trying to raise a substantial amount of money that would help us to, to do all the things that I said, grow, and also to add value. Okay. Uh, and we now have started talking to investors, impact investors, okay. that would want to invest in us. So that would be what? Um, social, um, social impact. Social enterprise, private equity, or venture capital companies? It could be social impact, like, uh, you know, or media network, Acumen, or okay. even angel, 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 angel investors. So wealthy individuals that have extra money that they want to invest in and make a difference, okay. you know. So those kinds of people, they will all come together and they would fund us. Okay. And are those people primarily based in Nigeria or outside Nigeria or it's a mix? It's a mix. It's a mix. We have people like in Nigeria, we have Tony Elimelu Foundation. Mm-hmm. You know, they're doing really great work. Um, so we have a lot of people. Um, yeah. Based on your experience for the past two years, what would you go back and whisper to yourself to focus on or to do or to watch out for? I think I will tell myself to push more because I, I think I'm learning that now more and more is that I don't push as much. I'm more of, you know, okay, I'll let that person realize that I'm doing something good. But now you have to grab things. So I'll tell that person, oh, yeah, go and talk to that guy and tell him. And if he says no, ask him again, are you sure? You know, push back, push back. So I would tell myself to push back and don't take things personally. Um, you know, I actually just, we're, we, you know, we're working through so many things and you get rejections all yeah. around. Yeah. 
recently to just yesterday we got another rejection i've been working on this proposal for about a year now and i was i'm telling you i was just devastated but i took a second and i thought about it and i said you know what i'm not giving up so i'll tell myself don't give up and push push more okay so which entrepreneur embodies that spirit of doggedness and never give up never quit that you admire mm. Entrepreneur. Or who do you admire with that, you know, same zeal and spirit that you would like to emulate as you're running your company? Company. I would say they are different people. It's just just one person. Okay, so talk talk to us about them. About them. Um, I would say look at um, this guy Paul Graham of White Combinator. Okay. In uh, Silicon Valley, he's amazing. You know, he he had really a really hard time when he first started. And he he could have easily walked walked away with and been a rich man after he sold his company, but he decided to go back and help. And then I was reading actually reading uh, an article because one thing about me is that when I have a <laughs> I have an issue I go and research it. So I was reading about failure and rejection, and I read about you know the person that wrote um, chicken food for the soul sorry chicken soup for the soul. Got rejected so many times. Um, Jack Canfield, right? Yeah, Jack Canfield <laughs> got rejected so many times. I think it was 40 times or 41 times. Yeah. You know, there's so many people like that. And they, I think there was one person that they asked and they said, you know, he said, they said, okay, what is your secret? And he said, I just kept on going. You know, everybody said, no, just keep going because all I need is one yes. So. Oh. And so what... I guess that will lead us to our next question. What type of books do you read in general? Uh, to be honest, I prefer I prefer reading fiction. Fiction. Yeah, I fly to I fly through fiction. I I love fiction. I love my favorite book. I mean, I love Nigerian, you know, Afro or ethnic fiction. Like people like, of course. Um, um, Chimamanda, I love Chimamanda. I love people like um, the, my favorite book is um, The Joys of Motherhood by Buchi Emecheta. I love uh, Jumpa Lahiri, she's from Asia. Those kinds of books, Twilight, Hunger Games. But I have to read <laughs> business books. <laughs> you have to. <laughs> <laughs> to survive and be a good manager so i i i read uh, i just finished reading poor economics and that was amazing that was an amazing book mm. yeah so i read i you know I, I i go through them a bit slower but I, I do finish them but i love fiction i love fiction oh wow that's interesting <laughs> you're probably you're the first guest i've interviewed that has mentioned fiction and the next question i would have for you is this so what would you tell recent grads that are coming out of university, you know, wrapping up their final year, or somebody that is brand new to, that wants to come into Africa and start and launch a venture, you know, whether it's in the recycling industry or any other industry. What's the piece of advice you'd want them to focus on or to hold on to? I think it's two. It's actually two pieces. So the first one, for the people that are just finished school and they are kind of thinking what they want to do, I would strongly say that they should volunteer. And, yeah, possibly volunteer with the company that they admire, that they would like to, or in a field that they would like to learn more about. You know, and I, I got this from a book, um, you know, The Mastery. Yes, Robert Greene. 
Robert Greene. And one of yes. the things he was saying was, you know, you kind of have to, you know, learn. Be an apprentice, right? Be an apprentice. And, you know, many times people are looking for that paycheck. You know, they want to get that money. Yeah. But sometimes you just got, you have to kind of, you know, hunker, hunker down and pay your dues. And, and you learn a lot. You know, the, one, some of the, the coolest people that I have I've ever met are people that came to me and said, hey, I want to be, an, I want to be a free volunteer. But I find that when they come and volunteer for me, I, I, they, I mean, they have access to me because I, I just admire them for doing that. And they end up, I end up paying them because I feel so bad about that. <laughs> <laughs> but then they, you know what I'm saying? So they gain the benefits in two, you know, in two ways. So I think it's amazing and it's cool if you, people should just try and take that risk and, and do it for the experience. Mm. And then, and the second will be for people that want to move back to Nigeria is don't commit to anything, you know. I've, I, some of the, the, the best connections I've made was just meeting people in the office, meeting CEOs and uh, officials or, and even um, just regular people and just talking to them and learning more about the Nigerian, uh, you know, the, the landscape. So just make, make sure you set up a lot of meetings, okay. tell a lot of people about what you're doing, and you'll, you will be amazed at what, what happens. They are open and willing to accommodate you if you want to set up meetings and talk to them. I've been pleasantly surprised. I mean, I mean, people are amazing. I mean, if the person doesn't have time, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. Yes. But people, I've, I've, I've seen people, you know, of course you have to network and see who knows who and, you know, get an introduction or just, you know, I've, I've had people that I just, you know, email out of the blue. Like, they don't know me from anywhere. There's a man I emailed about two weeks ago. He doesn't know me from Adam. And I emailed him and I said, hey, I'm coming to Abuja. And I want to talk about your organization. I think it's amazing. And he made himself available, and he was amazing. Hmm. You know, you never know. People, some people are really, really... I mean, many people in Nigeria are just great, wonderful. Like, we are a really wonderful country. People are really nice. So you should do that, you know, schedule as many meetings as possible with people and just tell them about what you're doing, tell them about the problems you're facing, and you know, see what you know, see what comes out of it. Oh, that's interesting. And um, I guess my final question would be this: If you had to sit down and talk to um, one entrepreneur that you really admire in the world today, what question would you ask them, and why? Oh. Uh, what was I would say, what, were your, what was your biggest regret? What do you regret the most? Okay. And why would you ask that? Because I'm a mom. And I just, I fear that many people that are successful, entrepreneurs, that's my fear, is that they have to do so at the expense of family life. Family life, okay. Yeah. So I want to talk to somebody like, um, you know, Meg Whitman or what's this woman's name again? Oh, the Yahoo. Uh, Marisa, Marisa, Marisa Maya. Marisa Maya and uh, uh, this Cheryl Sandberg. And say, you know, tell me real. Be real with me. <laughs> you know, don't, don't give me any of that, uh, you know, sprinkle stuff that you put in your books. Tell me the truth. You know, what, what is your biggest regret as a mom? Okay. That's interesting. And you personally, do you find time? How do you balance your work life? 
It's a daily, it's a daily, it's a daily, um, you know, balancing task, balancing act. You know, my husband has been amazing because he's actually had more experience in business. So I end up trying to just work at the expense of family, but he always reminds me and forces me to make more time for family, which is, which is great. So I just, um, because, you know, you, you have to realize that, you know, that's the most important thing. Is family. It's it's not even only children. It's it's your family, your parents, your sisters. So there was some. I think there was an article or somewhere I read. Well, it's a story. They said, you know, in life everything is balls. The golf balls, the big balls, is your family. So yeah. you put that into a jar first. Then your work is the smaller balls, okay. and then you know. So you make sure that the family balls come first. Okay. Family comes first. Hmm. And your husband, what does he do? He's a businessman, so okay. he ha- he's, he's an entrepreneur as well. Wow. So I guess <laughs> your kids have no choice but to follow in the family footsteps. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. That's great. Well, Bill Kiss, we've reached the um, end of the show. I just want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us and to inspire our listeners. It's been a pleasure learning about your business, your experience, you know, the wonderful advice you've given us. And we wish you continued success with recyclers and definitely look forward to talking to you sometime down the road and see how things have gone. Because most of the companies I've talked to thus far, just like you, almost everybody started within a two, three-year window. So most of the new fast-rising entrepreneurs are just I guess you would call them baby entrepreneurs because their companies are very very young but there's still so much room to grow and I know your company has a lot more giant strides to make in the market that you're working in so just want to thank you for taking the time thank you thank you so much so with that said guys um, just Listen to Bill Kiss' advice, you know. Focus on family. Focus on the big balls and then manage the small balls because you don't want to have those regrets of not spending those quality time with, you know, your parents, your siblings, and your kids. So this is Chibuzo Odogu with the Bulletproof Entrepreneur signing off. Don't let another minute go by without taking action to change your life. Visit Ordeshi.com right now for more incredible resources, and we'll see you next time on Ordeshi, the Bulletproof Entrepreneur.